Well, hello and good day, beautiful, marvelous, spectacular, amazing podcast family. What a, privile- a privilege, pleasure, and honor to be with you once again. Thank you for allowing me into your ears and into your mind and into your heart. I appreciate you uh, very much, and I'm wishing you, your family, your friends, and everyone you know all of the best, sending you my prayers and good vibes your way. We've got a phenomenal episode of the show for you today. We have Raman Newman on. We are talking about the leadership state and creating stellar success. Uh, this man is very interesting a former high-level athlete uh, working with top CEOs of billion-dollar companies um, all from a very spiritual perspective so his story in itself is really fascinating and the tools in here are very practical and uh, it's really great to hear someone at this level talk about this kind of stuff so we talk about his journey as an elite athlete getting injured trying to make make it to the Olympics um, going on a 10-year meditation retreat the science of protection um, um, being mindful of being driven by internal enemies, um, the protected process, the primary function of a leader, making consciousness the basis of your life, defining fulfillment, the two components of dharma, the three stages of averting war, knowledge versus ignorance, darkness versus light, the practice of spirituality, why failure is a feedback loop, remembering who we are, Hawkins map of consciousness, and so many more. There's a, a ton of notes in here, so I just kind of ripped off what I saw. So you're going to love this episode, and if you do, please share it far and wide. Support this show by leaving a review share an episode censorship is totally nuts so if you can do those two things that would be amazing if you want to support the show uh, you can also go become a member you can, because uh my patreon is deleted so you can chip in a few bucks there or even get it uh for free if you just go matt at zenathlete.com but it's a way to support the show uh back up the content and um yeah so i've kind of made it as my personal patreon so you can do that as well and for those of you guys who are looking for coaching you want to work with me one-on-one and you're serious about uh living a fulfilling a fulfilling life life averting you know these um problems like these limited beliefs and these imposter syndrome and not being able to get clear on who you are and what you want to do to consciously architect your life from your heart and from your soul and from your authentic being so that you can just live a fulfilling life and a meaningful life and make an impact on this planet if that's you and you want to learn all these high performance mindset techniques spirituality techniques um, esoteric teachings, spiritual teachings in in a way where you can engage in that process in a fulfilling way hit me up matt at zen athlete or go to mattbelair.com forward slash coaching. We can work one-on-one together. We can do group. There's a lot of ways that uh, I can support you. You can also go through the Soul Compass course, the Zen Athlete as well, which could be Zen Business, uh, Zen Leadership, Zen Music. It's really for high performers, but really the coaching is around getting clear on who you are, what's your life purpose, how do you want to architect your life, and then using peak performance techniques to create and architect that uh, life deliberately. So that's it. You know, so I think I mentioned the quantum heart hypnosis. And uh, the best thing you can do to support this show is to do three kind acts where you are wherever you are in the world check me out on telegram because i'm getting deleted everywhere i am back on uh, my third account on instagram matthew belair underscore so i'm going to be at ottawa uh, posting a lot of what's going on there trying to um, just support and uh, look for solutions and that's what's going on so thank you so much for listening to this show i appreciate your support let's come into a state of peace and coherence before we dive in wherever you are in the world just stop what you're doing take in a deep breath in through your nose Hold that breath and let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with peace, joy, contentment, courage, faith, energy, inspiration, and get ready to enjoy this incredible episode with Raman Newman. Hello and welcome to the Mastermind Body and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matthew Belair. 
As you know, we are currently overcoming extreme censorship. So if you want to support this show, please take a moment to share episodes you like, to leave a review in iTunes. Consider becoming a member at mattbelair.com where all the episodes are backed up and there's also exclusive content for members. But most importantly, consider doing three kind acts wherever you are in the world today. Today's guest is co-founder and CEO of New Mavericks, a global leadership development consultancy based in Los Angeles, Melbourne, and Sydney. He has worked with over 50 top CEOs and execs of billion revenue companies for more than 20 years, providing them with techniques to achieve high leadership capacity, averting problems, and seizing growth opportunities. He is the co-author to The Science of Protection, How Leaders Gain an Unfair Advantage to Create Stellar Success. Welcome to the show, Raman Newman. Thank you, Matt. Uh, great to be in your uh, Zen abode. <laughs> it's great to have you here, man. Well, I shortened your bio a little bit. You know, what you've done is impressive, and you're also a really accomplished athlete. And I said at the beginning, I love uh, talking to uh, former athletes, high-level athletes, because I feel like that level of success and commitment in you know any kind of sport or athletic realm transfers into business and often we're we're teaching these you know business people all of these attributes we learn through sport and they carry over very nicely so i'd love for you to just uh, share with the listeners a little bit about your background and you know embellish on your bio a little bit and how you got into what you're doing today sure man so uh first 20 years of my life was uh growing up in good old clean green new zealand <laughs> and uh, totally blessed, you know, childhood, you know, I had great parents, uh, great siblings. Uh, I had a twin sister, younger sister, younger brother. And, uh, you know, dad was kind of the typical Kiwi dad. He got us into sport and uh, athletics and rugby and stuff like that. So from a very young age, I was, I was very active and I got pretty good at rugby. Uh, won four provincial high school championships uh, and also got pretty good at running. Uh, won national, regional, provincial titles right from the age of 10 through the age of 19. And uh, that was my, my thing. Uh, in the end, I decided I had a choice. Well, do I pursue rugby or do I pursue running? And decided that, you know, my attributes and, and my physiology was more suited to the athletic running endeavor. So I uh, got really uh, focused on that, got really in the zone on that. Had Olympic gold medal winning coach called Arch Jelly, who coached John Walker to the 1976 uh, Olympic 1500 meter title. Uh, he was also the first man to run the three minutes, 50 seconds for the mile. So uh, he kind of said to me when he took me under his wing, he said, look, you know, I, I like how you're progressing uh, and there's no reason why you can't go to the Olympics as long as you stay healthy. And I thought, oh, well, fantastic. You know, when you get that sort of edification, you think, well, I've got to, I've got to try and meet, meet that potential. And so I really got into the training and he was structuring my training and really great coach, you know, really uh, empathetic and, and supportive. And I, but I think I had kind of the, the issue in terms of like, I love, I love training so much. Like I almost overdid it and I was really pushing the envelope, you know, some, times, you know, trainings would end with, you know, I, I built up more lactic acid than I can get rid of literally having lactic acid bumps on the side of my thighs. And it was just a, a sign that, okay, you know, uh, you're missing something here. So I didn't really know, you know, I didn't really have that knowledge of, you know, how to kind of develop your mind and relax and recover. I just thought it was all about the training you, know, you train as hard as you can, you know, you sleep a bit at night and then you just keep training. And so that formula worked, you know, to a good degree. And I was getting close to qualifying for the World Junior Championships. 
and ended up in that year uh, finishing the year two seconds short of, of the qualifying time. And after that, I got very sick. Got a lot of respiratory problems, a lot of digestive problems, kept me up most nights, coughing for over six months. Felt like I was becoming an insomniac and, and got very depressed. Uh, obviously, my, my performances dropped away. Um, you know, the, the girlfriend left, you know, because no one wants to be around a, a down and out guy sort of thing. So I, you know, I, I took the ignorant approach initially, you know, I just wanted to numb that pain. So I drank a little bit more, I ate a little bit more, I kind of just dated and partied, you know, whoever was interested and whatever was going on. And, and that, and that just kind of compounded the pain. And so I realized, okay, you know, get real with yourself. And I kind of just started to look deeper into things, started reading books, uh, read a book on transcendental meditation. And it was one of those books when you read and you just go, okay, I'm having a reaction to this book, you know, like a visceral reaction. There's something here. There's some message here for me. And I eventually found out that some athletes in my uh, squad were, were actually doing TM, transcendental meditation. And I said, okay, what's, what's this all about? And he said, well, it's just a, you know, an ability to settle the mind to more relaxed, settled state. And I thought I was a pretty relaxed guy. And I thought, well, okay, that sounds interesting, but what's the real value of it? He said, well, you actually recover faster. Okay, okay, that I need. So I went along to the intro, didn't really listen to the intro, um, had read enough about it, just wanted to have the experience. And so the first time I was, you know, taught the technique, I transcended so deeply uh, and the contrast was so great you know, compared to what I, I was used to in terms of relaxation, that I literally walked out of that first meditation feeling like I was walking on the clouds. And it was kind of a revelation to me because it was such a profound experience that it made me realize that, you know, we're all achieved, we're trying to achieve, hopefully that fulfillment's on the other side of that achievement. But I realized that fulfillment is not something you achieve. Fulfillment is something you experience in yourself. And I got a taste of that experience and it was so fulfilling that I just wanted to experience more of that. So I literally flipped the script from being extremely outward and active and physical and dynamic to wanting to be very inward and silent. And so I graduated from the University of Auckland with my bachelor's degree in commerce and then decided to go to the United States for a few months to do a work abroad program. And so I went to a university uh, in Iowa, in Fairfield, Iowa, called MIU. Uh, Marshy International University, and they part of the curriculum there. It's not mandatory, but it's optional. They encourage you to meditate. You know, TM, transcendental meditation, and it's been shown that the ability to transcend activates more of the brain coherence uh, in our brain. And they've found that world-class athletes, business leaders, musicians, when they're performing at their best, they're making the best decisions. They have a lot of this global alpha coherence in their brain functioning. And what this means in layman terms is that they're feeling very awake and alert and dynamic, but they're also feeling very settled and relaxed. Kind of like when you pull back an arrow on a bow, you know, the bow is, or the arrow is very still, but there's a huge amount of energy there that can be released uh, once it, you let go of it. So I, you know, really got into understanding this even more deeply and wanting to experience this more deeply. And so I was there working on staff. I was doing some continuing education programs and uh, got to meditate in these big geodesic domes that they have there and was really having like deep, profound zone experiences and realizing that oh, I don't have to run five miles a day to feel like 
to get into the zone. And there's many ways to get into the zone, but this way was so direct and simple and effortless that it was just so charming to me. And naturally, we follow what's charming to us. We follow our bliss. And so that's what I was doing. And eventually I decided I want to do this full time. I want to have this experience full time. So I found out there was a program in North Carolina where you could go and meditate uh, as part of a monastic setting. There's a men's campus and a woman's campus and you can meditate eight hours a day. So I said, yeah, I want to go and do that for one year because no one's really going to miss me from the world. You know, like what's one year, right? <laughs> so I go and do my one year. And after one year, I'm going, wow, I really love this lifestyle. I'm really enjoying this experience of just allowing myself to go inward and, and just be and experience that silence and kind of wake up, you know, more of that consciousness. And it also gave me an opportunity to kind of purify a lot of the stresses, you know, that built up in my physiology from being a competitive athlete. So it was a very healing and rejuvenative um, experience. And after one year, I decided, let's do another year. And then after a second year, I said, oh, this is too good. I can't leave right now. I've got to do another year. So eventually, two, three, four years evolved into 10 years. So I spent 10 years just meditating full time, eight hours a day, seven days a week. Of course, I took you know time off to see family and stuff like that. We got leave of absences uh, for maybe a month or a few weeks or something. But in general, that was my lifestyle for 10 years. And I just, I, I felt, yeah, I, I knew that wasn't going to be my life path, but I was just like, while I had the opportunity to do it, while I was in the flow of doing it, I just, I just rolled with it. So eventually I got to the point where I realized, okay, I feel like I've fulfilled this purpose here of really being more deeply established in myself, having more of that self-knowledge. Uh, purifying a lot of my, my stresses and, and kind of attachments that I had, you know, from, from being an athlete. And I wanted to reintegrate to the world to see what value, you know, I was to the world based on my experience. And so I went to New York City and exact opposite from this monastic environment, very outward dynamic city, as we all know. And uh, I was doing an act, I decided to do an acting program there because I wanted to take this deep inner connection I had myself and I wanted to connect with other people and acting is really a great way to do that. Great acting is really about great connecting. So I did a summer program there. I loved that summer program. Decided to do a semester there. So basically 2007, 2008, it's in New York City, just doing acting programs, uh, acting performances, wherever I could, and just really enjoying being back in the world and integrating that. And then, but underneath me, I knew like acting wasn't really my thing. Uh, my business partner, who uh, was also a med full-time meditating monk, he was actually a bodybuilder before he also became a monk at the age of 25, Paulo D'Angelo. And uh, he'd actually gone into the Himalayas. He was fortunate enough to get selected to a group to go up into the Himalayas. Uh, he was 15 years total monk, six of those years up in the Himalayas. And so he had actually come down in 2007 and he was helping a buddy who had a heart attack up there uh, recover. And then he decided he didn't want to go back. He wanted to come back into the world like I did. So he calls me up and says, what are you doing? And so oh, I'm just in New York, you know, doing this acting program for my own personal integration. And he said, well, how are you going to make money? And I said, oh, well, I don't know. I haven't really thought about it. I'm just enjoying <laughs> being in New York. <laughs> yeah, I was living off credit cards, you know, I was just. Kind of, I had so I fortunately I had you know some supporters that had funded me some money to do the acting programs and stuff so I felt very blessed in that regard and then um it was a very relaxed meditative action I don't know I haven't really thought about that yeah, exactly. <laughs> I still relaxed from the 10 years of meditating I haven't <laughs> yeah I was still I was still programmed like a monk yeah for sure so um 
So he, that, that kind of brought me back down to earth. So yeah, I'm, I'm really going to have to work out how to, how to make money here. And he said, well, you know, remember when we, you know, one of the things we did actually as, uh, as buddies on this program is that we wanted to be of service uh, while we were meditating. So he introduced me to what he was doing and uh, working with business leaders is literally being silent partners to them. So he would meditate eight hours a day. And then in, a, in the time we had off, he would connect with them on the phone, help them debunk some of their stresses and issues, see, you know, a greater truth of what's really going on and, and really support them on that, that spiritual and mental and emotional level. So he introduced me to that. And so I was, I was kind of doing that with him until he went to the Himalayas and then we kind of stopped. And then he, so he said, well, why don't we, you know, do what we, we started, you know, we were in this monastic setting and said, okay, well, let's, let's do that. So it was an interesting timing because 2007, 2008, as you may remember, there's a lot of financial calamity going on in the world. And when I was in New York City, I actually realized, hang on a sec, these are very super intelligent, smart business leaders. How come they have caused a financial calamity for themselves and their businesses and the world? And it made me realize that they had the same problem that I did when I was an athlete. I was so focused on that outer achievement and progress that I wasn't taking care of myself on the inside. I wasn't really developing myself on the inside, uh, developing more awareness, developing more brain coherence. And when you're not doing that, then you're more prone to making errors. You're more likely to be driven by your vices, greed, anger, lust, vanity, jealousy, you know, all those things that can really, really are inner enemies that cause external enemies. And so I realized, oh, okay, so, you know, so that's, that's what is needed right now. You know, leadership development needs a deeper basis, you know, and this was actually a Harvard lecturer came out. It was about three years ago, 2018. And she said, you know, the leadership development industry is about $46 billion spent every year on, you know, improving leadership. And she concluded that it really hasn't made a real big difference and a real dent in the human condition. You know, there's still a lot of the same problems and issues showing up. And that made me think and realize, well, why is that? And I realized that there, a lot of the time leadership development is focused on improving a process without actually improving the subject, the seer, the knower, the, the leader themselves. Uh, so therefore, they're not opening themselves to a greater awareness of better possibilities. They're just looking at a process from the same level of awareness and then just changing it, hoping it's going to make a difference. So that made me realize the value of, you know, what being a monk you know, is about, I mean, as you know, being an athlete is all about, okay, we've got an objective. I've got to put in the work. I've got to, you know, accomplish things and that, and that's great training, but then you've also got to look at the subjective side of yourself. You know, how am I, how am I growing from the inside? And so, so I, I said, okay, I, I can see the opportunity here. So we started, you know, connecting with CEOs, mostly of publicistic companies and just kind of introducing ourselves and, and presenting the value that we were bringing and, you know, it's, it's a hard sell because we're, we're not really selling anything tangible. We're selling something that's that's intangible. But it's those intangibles, you know, as we develop the intangible qualities of confidence and coherence and clarity and capacity and, and all these things that we can't see, that is really the basis for manifesting the tangible, you know. So, you know, we got enough traction with clients. Um, basically, in terms of, you know, how we've evolved over the last... 13 years, um, you know, our greatest success, if we have to label something, is uh, working with a CEO, taking his company from 1 billion to 7 billion in the space of seven years. And 
there was an interesting situation in that reality where the first year we worked with him, he actually became CEO of the year. And we thought it was a great accomplishment. He'd had the best year of his career. And then he says to us, guys, I, I want to have a break. I said, oh, that's interesting. You just had the best year of your career. And we were working with you. Why do you want to have a break? He said, well, I want to kind of compare whether it's, is it, is it me or is it us working together that's making the difference? And that's a very kind of pragmatic CEO way to look at things. So we accepted that and we left him with one question. We said, you have to work out why you won this award. You know, what's the deeper meaning of winning this award? And so we let him be. And then five months later, uh, Paulo calls him back and says, hey, Mark, how's it going? He says, it's not going great. And I don't know why my deals aren't working. And so a conversation unfolded there. And Paulo asked him, well, have you answered that question we left you with? And he said, no, I haven't even thought about it. This typical CEO thing, they, they, they're always kind of manage the outside and you know very often they they don't really take time to reflect enough and so he we reflected on that with him and basically he couldn't work it out so Paulo informed him said look when you win an award like that you have to go beyond just being about you and your accomplishments you have to take your life to a higher purpose you have to develop yourself to another level and you have to help others do the same and he kind of breathed a sigh of relief and said, well, that makes a lot of sense. Can we keep working together? So we did. Uh, and then we got to this point um, a few years later where he saw an opportunity to double the size of the company from 3 billion to 6 billion through a, a reverse merger acquisition. And he had the vision for it, approached his major shareholders to get support for it. And they said, no, we don't want to do this. It's going to ruin the performance of the company, the culture of the company and the stock price of the company was their perspective. And this is an off often a common thing that leaders have is that they might have a vision for something, but somehow it's not clicking yet. The, the team doesn't get it. The shareholders don't get it. The market doesn't get it. And it's not, we can't blame the market or we can't blame anything external. We have to kind of look at ourselves. So Mark said to us, I, I know we have to do this. It's going to you know, secure our, the future of the company and their company, um, but I don't know why they don't get it. And we said to him, look, you can either intellectually debate, you know, these people into understanding you and maybe they'll get it or you can just work on you. We can work on you owning this reality more fully, more clearly inside of yourself. So when you do present it again, if you want to do that, then they're more likely to get you because the end of the day, people are not really buying ideas. They're buying the person who is presenting them, first of all, and how they're projecting that. So we did that for three or four weeks with them and then said, okay, Mark, we think you really, you really own this at, at the level that you need to own it. And this is one of the very important things I think we all need to recognize. You know, if, if we want a result for something in life, we have to fully own that result first. We have to have believed it. We've already believed it. We are not in the process of trying to believe it. We've actually believed it, that the result is actually possible for ourselves. And we own that result. And then we make the decisions on, you know, how to execute, you know, and unfold that, not knowing how we don't even have to know how, but as long as we've owned the result that we want to experience, then we're more likely to attract that. And so that's what happened with Mark. So he presented to them again and they all go, okay, we get it, you know, which is another way of saying we get you and we believe in you because you believe in this and you're projecting that. So that was the first obstacle I overcame. The second obstacle was making the deal work. And a lot of these, you know, mergers, acquisitions, they're very complicated. You know, there's a lot of 
things they have to get overcome, times, you know, many possibilities for stress, many multiple no-go hurdles. And so he went through, it was going through that. It was a, took a few months, uh, but he was saying while he was going through it, he says, I feel so calm and relaxed. I feel like I'm the eye of the storm. And that's how we should be if we're, whatever we're doing, especially if we're doing big projects, we should feel like we're the eye of the storm. And the reason why we should feel like we're the eye of the storm is because that coherence and that clarity is so crystal clear and strong inside of us that naturally things organize around that. And so the deal worked, you know, the company grew. It's since grown to about, I think, eight or nine billion now. Um, the share price has gone, you know, six times, seven times what it was um, when it was a billion dollar company. And so it's, it's, it's been a great experience, you know, to see putting this knowledge into effect with a CEO and seeing how the ramifications that it can have, you know, in terms of the tangible reality that they're experiencing. So, yeah, that's basically my journey. Um, the latest update is, uh, I, you might be noticing you got a, a cut here. And uh, this is one of the things that, you know, we kind of really emphasize is this value. We wrote this book called The Science of Protection, as you mentioned. And one of the most important things that often gets overlooked and I overlooked, you know, as a competitive athlete was, you know, am I protected in my process? And meaning that am I in a state, we call it the leadership state in the book, where I'm not going to be overly affected by, you know, the stress that I'm putting myself under, that I have a strong immune system, that I have a strong nervous system, that I have a strong mind so that I can accomplish as much as I want for as long as I want. So protection is really something um, that we, we emphasize that's kind of our angle and that the primary function of a leader is to be able to protect the progress of themselves and those that they lead. Because if you are getting stressed out all the time and frustrated and angry, you're actually corrupting your success. And so the, the more you're able to strengthen uh, yourself from the inside, develop more of this global alpha coherence, then the negativity that is always there will always be there um, is not going to touch you. It's not going to affect you as much and you can continue to, to evolve. So I've been, uh, I've been nomadic the last few months and I've been really pushing uh, the limits, you know, I've been surfing and, and really pushing myself outward, you know, and as you may have noted from my story, I kind of, have this personality where if I'm going to do something, I'm going to take it to the nth degree. And so, you know, I've been, been full on surfing and uh, this little scratch, which has got a few stitches in on my face was a, a sign that I have to kind of check myself back again. I have to rebalance the equation um, and come back to, you know, being a little more settled and, and really balancing the dynamism with the silence, you know, and this is one of the things, you know, being, in that Zen mode, it's a coexistence. It's a coexistence of being settled, being having that silence in your awareness, and also being awake and alert and dynamic at the same time. So, if things are happening, if things are going out of kilter, if you are, you know, getting a little accident or uh, you know some feedback from nature, um, it's a sign that you've you've got to look a little bit inward. You know, sometimes you might be like procrastinating too much, and that can cause problems in itself. You know. So you've got to act, activate a little more dynamism in your life, you know, get a little more active. So that's our definition of, of balance. You know, it's not like balancing your life and family and things like that. That's a horizontal balance, but a vertical balance is that balance between silence and rest and recovery 
as the basis for also performing dynamic action. Wow, holy smokes. Well, that was quite the <laughs> that was quite the download, man. You know, it's 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 amazing that you are one of the few people that I have ever interviewed and have spoken with that have done, you know, a 10-year basically med- meditation sabbatical, meditation retreat. I know a lot of people have done the 10 days and even yep. a few months here and there. And, you know, I was able to meditate in Nepal and was really a wonderful experience and going up to the Himalayas would be incredible as well. Um, always had this idea of like finding the yogis and, and getting the answers yep. to life. Um, and then coming down into the world and going to New York, you know, of all places and just, you know, see where you fit in and how you can um, reintegrate into the world and society and bring what you have to offer. So, you know, that entire story, there were so many different takeaways from that. And what I want to ask is quite a few things. So I'm going to throw a lot at you and you kind of pick at it and, and see if you can answer them one by one or, or, uh, you know, see what comes up, but, you know, you talk a little bit about the leadership state. So I'd love for you to go a little bit more on that. Um, I'm curious about, you know, if you had a few takeaways from the, from the 10 year meditation experience, because some people feel like, um, they might want to get into meditation or they don't know why to do it or how do they calm themselves. Yep. Um, and then I'd be curious, you know, your perspective on failure, your perspective on peace. And I don't know why I'm, I feel like you can handle them all. So I just kind of took a bunch of notes while, while you're chatting and, and your idea of success, because I feel like everything you shared in that story really was, um, it encompassed everything that you need to know about the balance, right? About the the pushing and about, you know, the going within and, and being aware, you know, and, and how we want to be mindful of, of what kind of feedback we're getting from the universe and make sure that we're taking that time to go within ourselves to just register what's happening. Cause that way we can redirect, we can adapt to what's going on. But if we're constantly on the output, whether you're an athlete and you mm-hmm. overtrain and you get injured and you end up in the hospital or you end up uh, with an injury or whatever the case may be, or in the uh, business world where you're going so hard, you have all these other issues, whether it's health, whether it's family, whether it's um, something else is falling off the radar because you're not taking that time to reflect. And I feel yeah. like most people want that. And especially the listeners with this audience, you know, a lot of people want to say, okay, you know, how do I live a peaceful life? How do I get towards, you know, really actually being fulfilled? And I love what you said about fulfillment. Um, why isn't, it isn't something you achieve, but it's something you experience. And I've mm-hmm. given the example before. It's like, you know, a flower growing or an oak tree, it starts mm-hmm. as a seed and then it sprouts out. Right. And then it starts to, you know, build itself up and then has branches and starts to have leaves and all the different things. But each step of the process is equally important, right? Mm -hmm. So if the oak tree or the human can be whole and complete and harmonious and full of self-love and be fulfilled as it grows into its full potential. And that's the challenge because we're not at that space we want to be at. We're not at the success. We're not at the, you know, something missing in the external world that we want to create, which we can as creators, but how do we do that in a peaceful manner? So um, that's kind of my set of questions and rants that I'd love to hear your perspective on. Yeah. Yeah. Happy to touch on all that. So, I mean, just to kind of the the catch-all answer to, to what you've just asked is really making consciousness the basis of your life. And when I talk about consciousness, I'm not talking about the conscious mind. Uh, I'm not, which is that part of the mind that just consciously logically deals with life. Um, I'm not even talking about the subconscious, uh, which is, you know, where we feel and think and imagine and stuff like that. I'm talking about that, that field, that unified field they call in quantum physics that pervades everything. And the best way I can kind of give an analogy to this 
is like that iceberg. So you got that one quarter of the iceberg that sits above the water and is above and is, is conscious, you know, to the open air. And then, but the basis of that conscious mind is the subconscious, that three quarters of the iceberg that's under the water that allows that one quarter to be above the water. And, you know, we all know the power of the subconscious, you know, we've got to take care of that subconscious mind. But consciousness is the ocean. That iceberg cannot exist without the ocean, without the water, right? And so the ability to allow your mind to transcend and go beyond the conscious level uh, through the subconscious into that field of consciousness, which is really just an experience of a settled state of awareness. It's just pure awareness, pure simplicity, simplicity singularity, and Zen, you know, there's so many names to it, uh, but allowing your mind to traverse to that settled state, that a settled, awake, alert state. And when we experience that, then the brain wakes up even more. There's more connectivity in the brain. There's research that shows, you know, the difference between, you know, a normal manager and a high level manager is there's more connectivity between their prefrontal cortex. And this is, what con this is what the experience of consciousness does to the brain. We experience our true nature and our true nature, our essential nature, where we are experiencing at least inner fulfillment is bliss consciousness, you know, that, and bliss is not happiness. Bliss is just, we could say it's supreme happiness. It's, it's eternal. It's always there. It's always has been there. It always will be there. And that's why, you know, you wonder why, well, how can you sit and meditate for 10 years for so long? I said, well, because I got to experience that supreme level of, of bliss, you know, allowing my, my body to really go inward and experience what's at in its basis, right? Our essential nature is bliss, right? And so suffering, we can say suffering is a part of life. Yeah, it's a part of life on the surface, but it's not, it, it comes and goes, you know, but what our essential nature is that we are fundamentally bliss consciousness. So the more that we experience that, the more we experience fulfillment. And we say to our business leaders, we say, look. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I had a question immediately, but please, please keep going. Go well, so so uh, we say to our business leaders, if you want to work with us for achievement, then we're not your people. But if you want fulfillment, what you're achieving, then we're your people. And so achievement is not the goal. I'm sorry to tell you, achievement is not the goal because achievements come and go, you know, and we can achieve as much as we want uh, for as long as we want, but still not be fulfilled. So the goal is ultimately fulfillment. So what on earth is fulfillment? Well, in a simple sense, it's your mind being settled, your mind being at peace because you are experiencing your essential nature and your heart being full and content also. And so when that heart and mind are in that state, they're in coordination, there's harmony, you know, things flow between what you feel and what you think, you know, there's not a conflict going on in there. And, and you just feel fulfilled in who you are. You're more awake to, you know, what your natural laws of nature and your inclinations to, to serve in life. And achievement comes out of that. Achievement is the byproduct of you being fulfilled. More achievement is, is just automatic because you are fulfilled. So you're not chasing achievement so you can feel fulfilled. You already are fulfilled. So achievement will naturally come from you being who you essentially are. So 
Yeah, let's grab your question now. Yeah, yeah, I'd love that. I'm, I'm glad I let you go. Well, as soon as you said, uh, you know, bliss is our fundamental state, which I can agree with uh, to a point. I think I'm just very, maybe I'm like grumpy minded and I've experienced those states. Um, when I had this one experience in, in Costa Rica, I thought I was going to sit by a tree for the rest of my life and meditate. Like it was so strong. I, yeah. I actually thought I go, Oh, is this it? Like, is this what I'm going to do now? This is amazing. I'm not going anywhere. Like everything was complete. I needed nothing. It was so full and incredible, but then you see, so I can agree. Okay. Uh, you know, our fundamental state is bliss, right? But yeah. everyone in, most people, many uh, high percentage are just walking around stressed out. And especially now with the world is more chaotic, more uncertain, more dangerous for a lot of people, uh, more uh, scarcity consciousness because of money and all these different factors going on more uh, divided. Um, yep. What's our biggest block from just being in bliss if it's our fundamental state, right? How do we, you know, keep coming back to that so we can just be sure. in, in that resonance? Sure. So basically what, what's happening there is people are conditioned to live life through their senses fundamentally. And what we experience through our senses is the field of gain and loss, pleasure and pain, right and wrong, and, and the whole field of differences, right? The, the whole field of, of opposites, right? And that's just part of life. That's the relative field of life. You know, we're, we're, all, we're all dealing with that. But the thing is, that's a changeable field of life, right? And so not enough time or education is being given to allow, especially in the education process, to allow students to experience and go within and experience their fundamental nature and transcend the mind, the intellect, the ego, and the senses and get to the source of those things. So the more we're able to kind of just spend a little time, it's not even a lot of time, like 20 minutes, you know, in the morning, 20 minutes in the evening, just to because it's so powerful when you allow the mind as, as you experienced to just give yourself a taste of that. And then you're in a completely different state. We call it the leadership state. And the leadership state is when there's a high degree of coordination and coherence between this prefrontal cortex, which is what makes us unique as human beings, this 30, 40% front part of the brain that allows us to think strategically and in an evolutionary and orderly way. But when this is stressed and fatigued and, and tired because we're so caught up in what's going on in, in the changing field of life, then we lose a sense of, of direction and leadership for ourselves. And so when there's a coherence between the amygdala, which is kind of that lower impulsive part of the brain, which is very useful to picking up on those impulses, but the key is to be able to have enough coherence in your, your higher cortical areas in this prefrontal cortex, the CEO of your brain, so you are able to interpret what those impulses are. Uh, a lot of people, you know, they say the, the amygdala is the fight, flight, and freeze part of the brain. And that's true, but that's the lower functioning of the amygdala. The higher functioning of the amygdala is vigilance. And vigilance and, and diligence is what enables us to move and lead things and ourselves forward. And that vigilance and diligence comes from that coherence between the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala. So how do we give the brain that experience? Well, we have to use a meditation technique, you know, to allow that coherence to unfold. Now, in terms of the whole field of meditation, 
there's basically three categories that you can put meditation into. The first category is focused attention meditation. So you're focusing on some object, maybe outside of yourself, maybe inside of yourself. And this is useful to kind of, you know, center and focus the mind and that concentration, concentration muscle. But the problem with that is it doesn't allow the mind to fully settle. It's still engaging the mind on some sensory or active level. So it's limited. So it, it activates what they call the gamma frequency in the brain. So the gamma frequency in the brain is when we focus on things. It's a very a lot, uh, excited, alert frequency. The next type of meditation that you'll find out there is open monitoring, self-monitoring meditation. So you're monitoring your breath rate, your heart rate, thoughts, feelings, maybe someone's guided words, guided sounds. And this is useful for processing and contemplation and it's, it's useful in that regard, but again, it's limited because it's still activating the, the mind in some way to, to be active, to be processing and, and working on something. And these type of meditations uh, are useful in settling the mind, uh, but primarily what they're doing is they're activating a little more beta uh, frequency in the brain. And beta is when we uh, process information from what we're focusing on. So the last type of meditation that's out there is called automatic self-transcending techniques. And these are techniques that go beyond the technique itself. And this is really the definition of an ideal technique. A technique is just a vehicle to get you to an experience. So these techniques allow the mind to more fully transcend and more. Can you say that again? I was taking notes. Automatic, automatic what? Self-transcending techniques. Automating self. That sounds amazing. Self-transcending techniques. Yeah, self-transcending. So amazing. They're, they're techniques that just naturally allow the mind to do what it naturally wants to do. The mind naturally wants to be settled. We're happiest when the mind is settled in a piece. The body, we have to act. The body's for action. We must act for the sake of the body. But for the sake of the mind, we want the mind to be settled in a piece. So these automatic self-transcending techniques allow the mind to naturally, like gravity, go to that field of greatest charm, which is being settled so that it can experience its essential nature, which is bliss. And so the regular experience of this cultivates more of this alpha, and even global alpha coherence in the brain. And global alpha coherence in terms of breaking it down is really a composition of the alert frequencies of beta and gamma. So you feel awake and alert and the slower frequencies of delta and theta when you sleep and dream and imagine, right? And so it's a very holistic state of brain functioning. And this is what we want to, we'll be engaging the whole brain. And so uh, these techniques, there's what there's a Qigong technique that allows the mind to more uh, fully transcend. And then there's the technique that I learned, uh, TM, Transcendental Meditation. The difference between something like Qigong and, and TM, from what I understand from neuroscience, is that it's a little more effortless and natural. They found that when someone learns the TM technique, automatically, um, because it's so effortless and natural, there's an activation of global alpha versus other techniques may be a little harder to practice and take a little longer to, to activate more of that. So that, that's what I recommend. You know, whatever, whatever you choose, you can choose any of those you know, types of meditation, whatever you feel like you need. But if you really want to get to the essential nature and allow your mind to more fully settle, then have a transcending technique. I recommend TM. If you find a better one than TM, by all means, you know, explore that. Uh, but that's, that's what I recommend. And just, 
you know, 20 minutes twice a day, 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the evening, just to kind of give your brain the, the memory of that experience of what your essential nature is. And then as you come out into activity, you bring those qualities out into your, into your senses, into your life. And you're not so kind of bombarded by the field of change because you experience the field of non-change that is silence. And so if we can, again, have that coexistence of silence and dynamism, then life is full. We can be fulfilled on the inside and we have the coherence to be, to create out of fulfillment through our achievements as well. That's incredible. I, I absolutely agree with all that. And in our culture, we're not doing any type of training for the inner world or it's not valued as much there. It's, it's starting to come up with kind of the new agey stuff. Um, but I feel yeah. like a lot of the new agey stuff can be a little misguided and not have the effectiveness of the sales that it goes along with it. So, you know, on one, it's good to explore that. And on, on the other hand, we want to be real about what the effect is and if it um, yep. is going to get the result that we want. Um, but in very simple terms, it's training your brain to create these states. Now we can measure these states with uh, different technologies like Muse Meditation and, and yep. um, EEGs and things like that. So we can get some feedback for what's going on. But the idea yep. is to train your, your brain because um, most people are kind of a victim to the external world, meaning they will, uh, something will happen to them and they'll feel whatever way they feel. They get cut yeah. off in traffic and they feel angry and feel like that's the only response available. They're, how could I feel anything else but this thing? And this isn't even, so they're kind of a victim to what happens in the outer world. Right. Yeah. And so then they're also motivated by these senses of pleasure, of peace. And, you know, oh, I got to veg out on Netflix because I need to be disconnected now. And so they yeah. don't realize that by training the inner world, um, we can kind of, like you said, be the eye of the storm or, or be at peace, even though it's chaotic. And the best example I like to give um, for this is, is training in martial arts and understanding. And I'm not at this level. I don't think I, who knows what, what would happen. Um, but like going into war, like the, the old battles, like the samurai or, are going to uh, you know, the Braveheart wars where you've got the maces and the bow and arrows, like you could take one of those to the face. And if you went out into that battle, the most, how you're going to survive that is you, number one, you're going to be praying to God. You yeah. know, you're going to be like creator, please keep me right. safe. Right. Cause I do not want this ball with a spiky end of some asshole on a horse. Come and take me out. You know, that's the way I do it. Does. And then two, it's all that training going in because the more you are calm in your inner world in the most chaotic, insane, violent and dangerous atmosphere possible, if you're going to succeed, you got to keep that coherence because you're going to see so much more. You're going to respond yeah. differently. It's going to become the response of the training. And, you know, in, I teach a lot on, um, you know, flow state and things like that yeah. through sport. And one of the common things I say is like, it's more about a, it's a response to the training you had before, right? It's like, yeah. if you wanted to have strength and do a 600 pound squat, you don't think your way into it and do a 600 pound squat. It was the process of six, yeah. probably like several years, probably, you know, to get to that level. And so it's a response once you're put into the environment. And I feel like that's what you're touching on here, which is really important. And I'd love your perspective on um, the balance between um, threats and response. And so if we think of the world we live in, we take care of our family, we need to put mm -hmm. food on the table. 
So we need to mm -hmm. figure out finances and money and service and things like that. Um, also, mm -hmm. when there's threats, let's say, you, you know, you live in a place where threats are in, in certain parts of the world, this is already happening. And, and I've always given this question to people as well, where certain countries are more oppressed, right? So I studied, uh, you know, when I went to Com Cambodia, the Khmer Rouge and what happened there. And uh, even Rwanda, and it's kind of happening now where um, they had the two tribes. And what they did is they threw uh, propaganda through the radio, right? On yep. the one tribe, dehumanizing the other one. And then they dropped the machetes in and shot, you know, their, uh, this other tribes, you know, just massacred them. Very scary thing. And yep. so there are kind of, there is violence here. There is danger here. Yep. And so some people will talk about going into the 5D realm and it's all surrender and hunky-dory, which I don't really buy into that i understand it i feel yeah. like you can be in coherence but if we are participating in the world and our environment is becoming increasingly dangerous we need to respond to that whether it's we're losing our job and we need to respond so we put food on the table and provide yeah. for a family that's more danger if you've got yeah. infinite money and gold bars you're not in danger you're always getting food you're getting yeah. everything you need and so how do what's your uh thoughts around responding and taking threats for as they are because yep. it, it does exist but not being afraid of them and then responding to them in a powerful way and you know on the flip side of that i think about um uh, i think it's michael singer's book uh where he's just the surrender experiment you know that one yep. yeah so that uh -huh. idea of like you just surrender to what is all the time and he was like very successful in business and things like that where it's just yep. like the universe has you you're just you uh -huh. know you're not adding a story to anything it just right. is what it is. You fully surrender and you watch life being lived through you almost in that meditative state. And so yeah. I feel like it's the balance of both. Um, and, uh, you know, so I'm curious at your thoughts on kind of that rant or those ideas. Yeah. I mean, what you're talking about there from my perspective is, is that play of karma. We all have action reaction that, that's playing out in our life. You know, every, every action is having a, a reaction, good or bad. Karma doesn't mean bad. Karma just means action right? And it could be good or bad, depending on what the action was. And ultimately, you know, we're all working at our karma, you know? Um, and at the same time, we want to be established and, and doing what is our dharma, right? Our dharma is what's evolutionary, what's our natural innate nature. And, and there's two actually components to dharma. Everyone's fundamental dharma is to get as evolved and as enlightened as possible while you're in this body. Right? to really develop yourself, to be as weak to what is evolutionary, to be in tune with these laws of nature that you know, allow our heart to beat without us having to tell them to do that, that digest our food without us having to you know, be a part of that process, that underlying intelligence you know, that doesn't allow the planets to smash into each other in, in our solar system. It's being in tune with that level of evolutionary intelligence. And this is why we want to transcend. We want to get back to consciousness because that's where more of those right thoughts at the right time exist. You know, we all know that when we have a settled mind, nothing's really a problem. You know, we just know what to do. It's just something to handle, something to take care of. But we don't, when we don't have that settled coherence, then everything seems like it's a problem and we're blaming this and the fault of the economy and the fault of the pandemic and, and stuff like that. And we're literally giving power and control to things outside of ourselves. And one key indicator, whether you are in control of your life or not, is how affected by people and situations and circumstances you are. The less you're affected, and I'm not talking about not being empathetic or compassionate, I'm just not being 
disrupted or distracted or disturbed by things that are not really important to helping you grow and, and helping the world evolve, you know, things that are kind of wasting our time. So, you know, the more that we're able to um, be in, in our dharma and in, in our uh, dharma to enlighten ourselves, uh, our spiritual practice, and in our dharma to do what is innate to us, you know, based on what we're good at, what, what natural abilities and intelligences and laws of nature that you know, we're gifted with uh, to express ourselves in the world, um, then I think, you know, we are always going to create better and better karma for ourselves, you know, and, and life is an evolutionary flow, not a, not a, a war of, you know, uh, right and wrong and, and good and bad, you know, we're getting caught up in that, that whole field. So I think that's, you know, the main thing is just to have that, that level of settledness to yourself. And then you can, you know, you might, you might have, I think the more enlightened you are, you can fight the battles in a more enlightened way. Right. And, you know, they say there's kind of three stages, you know, to war or averting is first stage is like get everyone to be more peaceful. You know, what, what can we support to minds to be more peaceful and more coherent and, then how can we communicate and dialogue, you know, with people in a better way? And war just happens when we can't do those two things. If we can't do this thing, we can't find agreement. We can't find harmony in ourselves. We can't find harmony with others. Then literally we're forced to go to war, right? To, but the war is, is there to actually, you know, bring things back into an evolutionary way, evolutionary way of life, right? So ultimately, at the end of the day, truth always triumphs. Good always triumphs over evil. Evil, negativity is innately, it's powerful, but it's innately incoherent and therefore it's weak, right? As soon as you start to, you know, show coherence uh, and the strength of coherence, then negativity, it, it just can't get to you. It can't penetrate. There's a whole thing in uh, Meisner, the Meissner effect in physics. So you take a superconductor, which is very orderly and it's electrons, um, it won't allow any incoherent electrons or fields to penetrate into its field. And so we can be like that as well. The more coherent we make ourselves, the more we're not going to be disturbed, you know, by the incoherences and the negativity. And we can just continue to evolve ourselves and support others and protect others in that process of evolving and expanding our, our ultimate birthright, which is to expand happiness and, and bliss. Uh, I love that answer. And, and it reminded me of, uh, another idea, and I, I don't know if it's true. You can tell me if you've heard of it or not, but I heard a while back that if there are two frequencies, uh, the lower frequency we see will be like absolved into the higher one. Like the higher one always triumphs, you know what I mean? And so it'll, yeah. it'll be, uh, um, it'll harmonize to it. Right. So if the, the higher one's always going to harmonize. So if you're able to stay in that state, um, it's going to harmonize to it. And, and the number one thing with, you know, evil or weakness or oppression are these different ideas is that they are weak. They are incoherent. They're not based in truth and there's no spirit or will to it. You know what I mean? It, it is like I've given the example before with to people like, you know, I do martial arts and I'm, you know, reasonably strong and reasonably good at it. But if I go into someone's home and I attack them and they don't know anything and they're right. fighting for their life, they're going to have a good opportunity to do well, even though I have yeah. more, uh, you know, advantages because they're fighting for their life. I can leave at any time. 
And so if you study people who do harm, that's what they're like. They're like cats sneaking up on you. And the second that you see them, they run away because now they're, they're, they're kind of cowardly like that. They're not coherent, but when you're fighting for your life, that's your will, that's your spirit, that's your essence. You, you know, you're not trying to force anything on anyone. You're just trying to live and, and be alive. And I feel like the number one challenge we all have right now is fear. Because when I look through what's going on in the world and seeing all these different things, when you kind of start to peel back the layers, it's a lot like Wizard of Oz, even doing the law summit and understanding that it's all this fear. It's all this poker game of fear of, I have a power and dominion over you to yeah. rule you. But once you start to understand this, like, actually, that's not true. You're assuming and presuming it. And people right. are accepting those assumptions and presumptions, you know, as a diversion to the law, you know, when you go into a courtroom, they assume and presume you are their slave unless you say otherwise. So unless you, you unless you say I am retaining my rights and, yeah. and, you know, I'm waiving none, they will assume you've waived them. What kind of freaked yeah. up crap is that? Right. Yeah. And so it's this understanding and knowledge. And I feel like this is what this this catalyst is doing is moving people more into their dharma more into their inner world to find their power to know what is right and what's true not from an external authority telling them that saying this is what's right and true is like no 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 i decide what is right and what's true and what's good within me and that is a very powerful source and when we start to um, harmonize together and do that. That is so much more powerful. I, I don't know. It's like the 300 movie, you know, there's 300 yeah. of them in coherence versus yeah. infinite number of these other people. And they're just getting smoked. Right. And I yeah. feel like that's, what's going to happen in this scenario. It's the forced response of a very powerful energy that's accessible by everyone. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well put. Well put. I mean, I was talking with someone on uh, Kauai and he's, he's quite well connected, you know, amongst, you know, the higher up political circles and, you know, the corporate world where companies own companies own companies and then, and power is very actually concentrated, relatively speaking, in a relative small number of people. And that's, you know, that's obviously not a good thing, but I, I went, well, how do we get to this place in the, in the first place? And I, and he said, well, you know, someone said to him, he said, look, if America doesn't get it right, um, there's not much chance the rest of the world will get it right because he said 70% of the world on average follows what America does. And that can be a good thing and not a good thing, depending if America gets it right. And so what it made me realize overall is that there's too many followers in this world and there's not enough people living from their leadership state. There's not enough people with an activated leadership intelligence using their leadership brain to be able to think for themselves and to know what is best for their evolution, you know, because they haven't even been given given that training or they're just conditioned to be followers and just to accept what the media says or accept what someone who's got a a false agenda or a self-interest because, you know, they have, they have the exposure, you know, but if we're really able to, like you say, tune into, you know, what's, what's best for us because we're awake in ourselves, then we can be, we're our own leaders ultimately. Yeah. yeah, I agree. And so what would be your thoughts on, um, you know, the meaning of this life, you know, God, what's happening now, like, like a big picture scenario sitting there in, in meditation, right? Because it's an interesting time. If you look at the Bible, there's a lot of stuff that's happening in that mm-hmm. book. And you look at it now, you're like, okay, this is interesting. Now we're having a divide, like in Canada, for example, 
they just uh, announced in one province that, you know, if you don't have this passport, which has been in history before, it wasn't a good thing that you can't even get groceries. Now, understanding the law summit and what I know, I would just go in there anyway, get them to call the police, get that fine and know how to fight it in court because it's unconstitutional. And it's again, yeah. it's a person trying to tell you what you can and can't do. But when you understand yeah. that and you look underneath, nothing sticks. All it is, is this pack, passing the buck oppression. And, yeah. you know, so it's like, well, they could say that, but the fine won't stick because it goes against our charter rights and freedom. And nobody can tell you that you can't have groceries, but that's actually happening and it's scaring people and it's making them um, not in this expanded state. And that's one of the discussions I had in my coaching group the other day was this idea that we have one side of us that we want to do the most we want to live our life to the fullest. We want to live our dharma and share that, master our gifts, share that with as many people as possible. Nice and easy to say if you're free. If you're in a place that's free and you have the pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, easy. Yeah. No problem. Go ahead. Now, if you can't do anything, you can't bring your daughter into a store, you're not allowed to get groceries, and you're not allowed to go outside because the government said you need to be inside by this time, and you're being actively oppressed, your brain isn't on the infinite... I can do anything side. It's like, holy crap, how do I just even exist here? So I'd be curious your thoughts on navigating that type of scenario. Well, I mean, it's the classic story of, of the fight between ignorance and, you know, knowledge and, you know, darkness and, and light and man-made, you know, understanding and, and, and natural law, you know, based understanding. And I think, you know, there's a, there's a lot of lack of consciousness. That's the bottom line. It's just people aren't really conscious about, this whole scheme I and mean, the whole thing around a virus is that it's actually part of our natural ecology. You know, cells die in, in humans and in animals and in plants and they turn into viruses and then that activates bacteria to come in and, and clean them up. So viruses are a natural purification process that's going on either way. Uh, but somehow science and, and the medicine has distorted it and saying, oh, no, it's a, an evil thing and you can't have viruses, but viruses exist in our body as part of the, the creation, maintenance and destruction cycle. And this is why, you know, activating, you know, what we call this intelligence of, of protection, not from like controlling the outside, but from stimulating that value of protection, you know, through our immune system, through our nervous system. Because protection is, is, you know, a general macro definition of it is that which creates, maintains and dissolves based on what is good for the whole to be able to survive, thrive and evolve. So there's a natural protective intelligence that we have through consciousness that allows us to be in tune with, with what's evolutionary, you know, and viruses, I think, come up in order to correct you know, people being out of, out of tune with natural law. So I think that the whole message is, has been distorted to protect from the outside when really they need to be educating people. Hey, here's how you stay healthy. Here's, here's how you be in tune with nature. Here's how you are protected from the inside out, not from the outside in. So I think, you know, there's that whole battle going on right now between the ignorant understanding of things and, you know, the real knowledge-based understanding of things and so ultimately you know truth will triumph you know because ignorance is inherently weak and we just need to stay in a good frequency you know there's the more the more you stay in a good frequency the more that things can change uh so for example and this is fable man goes into a brothel and comes out and gets given a gold coin 
man goes into a temple, comes out, gets bitten by a snake. Now, obviously, you thought, you know, that should be the opposite, you know. But the moral of that story is that the man who went into the brothel was supposed to get a whole treasure chest of gold coins. But because he had lowered his frequency and his coherence, then he only ended up getting the one gold coin. The man who went into the temple was supposed to die. He had some negative reaction coming to him, but he decided, I want to put my attention, be in a higher state of consciousness. He still experienced the reaction to whatever action he took, not bitten by a snake, but didn't die. So the moral of that story is that if you're in a high frequency, then you'll attract even more good if you're in a, if you're in a, a good cycle and you've, you've got good things going on. And if you're in a negative cycle, there's not negativity going on, you'll be able to neutralize it. You'll be able to maybe not completely, you know, instead of losing your leg, you'll graze your knee sort of thing. Like instead, instead of me getting concussed and maybe going, having a brain bleed and going to a coma because I, I did get a concussion from the surfboard hitting me. You know, I just got a cut in the face. I got a little dazed for a few hours and, you know, I've, I've learned what I needed to learn through that experience and, you know, I'm going to evolve from it. So it's, it's really able to, you know, have control of your own awareness and, and really be able to process what's going on um, from, a, from a higher state of awareness, like, like, well, like educating your, your people. Yeah. Yeah. I love that example. And I'd, I'd be curious, you know, your thoughts on um, just, you know, the meaning of life and death, you know, like what is this whole process for? I, I like the work of the Tibetan book of the dead and, and some, you know, I've heard when I was in Nepal too, where, you know, I, I, there's probably some people who can do this, but they would say like these practices of, of walking into their dreams. So that way when they passed over, they could consciously move into the other realm. And I was like, Holy smokes, that's, that's a fascinating thing. Like staying conscious, all the time where you would sleep yeah. and walk into it. And so I just be curious from your experiences and, and what you've learned, like, what do you feel like the ultimate goal and meaning of life is? And what do you think happens beyond this? Uh, I believe it's ultimately just to develop as high states of awareness and consciousness as you can. And, and out of that love, love, you know, we will talk about love being, you know, a high frequency, which it obviously it is. Um, it's actually not the highest frequency based on some studies. Uh, I can't remember what the name of that book was, but he actually was able to measure different frequencies. So about Dawkins? Dawkins? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. What, what was the name of that book? Uh, uh, Force. Oh, Power versus Forest. Yeah, Hawkins Forest. or Dawkins? I'm Hawkins, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So enlightenment, however you define that, is, is the highest, highest frequency. And then love and peace and, and harmony and, and things like that. So we want to we want to just develop ourselves to be in the, the highest state of, of consciousness that we can. And the only thing ultimately that we, we do take with us is the level of awareness and consciousness that we developed. And, and the other thing I'd add to that is the amount of love you know, that we have in our heart, you know, for ourselves, for for others, for for humanity. So I think we're all in a in a process of you know clearing away all the the stuff that really takes us away from experience what, you know, our true nature is, as I mentioned, you know, to experience, you know, be in bliss, uh, expand that bliss. Uh, I think that's, you know, I don't, I don't think anyone's coming here to suffer, but sometimes suffering is a part of life because that suffering is, is there not to punish, but to teach in some way to teach like, no, that's, that's not your reality. Your reality is, is something else. You need to culture that. 
So I think, you know, be, beyond whatever happens, I and mean, who knows what, I, I haven't heard anyone, you know, hear near, near-death experiences. There you go. Yeah, exactly. I just pull up the map of consciousness just because it's. I love this uh, map of consciousness. It's interesting. And then it also ties into the Kybalian, which uh, talked about the, uh, you know, uh, one of them, they got the seven hermetic principles and one of them mm-hmm. is polarity saying that, you know, anger and love are on the same polarity and it takes your will to move it up the scale. Like they're one in the same, it's on the same scale. So you have to move up the scale. And so when you're aware of these things and you look at where fear is and, um, you know, anger and blame and despair and regret and anxiety, you know, that's, that's when the outer world, the material world is forcing you. Right. Yeah. So again, you take that war analogy where I'm going into battle and people are trying to ding me with bows and arrows. Like I could get angry and that's something you yeah. should get angry about, but I can't allow myself to get into that state or I'm not going to survive this scenario for what is actually happening. So same thing was going on here. Um, there's a lot of very challenging situations. So can we at least get at the scale from like, you know, sheer rage to even like a bit of anger, you know, that's still moving up the scale. And then even just getting to that yeah. peak. One thing that's been helpful for me and and a lot of people that I've been coaching is, you know, give that fear, anxiety, um, dread or whatever that is to the creator. You know what I mean? And the bigger and like this bigger thing has never been up to us. The bigger scale of how the entire the only thing that's ever been up to you is you. Yep. And your response to what's happening. So not yep. your brother, not your sister, not, you know, your kids. The only thing that you're directly responsible is you and your response and your consciousness and your own evolution. Yep. So we just need to keep remembering that, which for me, I don't think I've been doing the best job. Maybe. Okay. I don't know. You know, I feel like there's always a lot of room for re- improvement. That's why I love the podcast because it reminds me it's a practice. And when I was in Nepal, they would say, you know, Buddhism was a practice. Kindness and compassion was a practice. Awareness mm-hmm. is a, is a practice. And so yeah. you keep coming back and the more you can remember that you just stay in that state longer. So if you're just constantly angry and the world makes you angry you just remember and then you come back to peace or come back to like just trust or say you know what you know creator take this anger from me i don't know how to get rid of it you know i ask for help and i feel like then we're we're connecting with that uh what what would you call that would you call that god creator the you know the universal force you're talking about divine exactly exactly i mean god creator consciousness is just going to reflect where you're at you know whether you're either aligned with that level of intelligence or you're still grappling in lower levels of intelligence, you know, and we all go through the, those emotions, even the negative emotions. Uh, but I think if, if you're consciously programming yourself to react with anger, when things don't go your way, then you actually neuro wire that into your circuitry, you know, because every time we go to sleep, the, the experience of that day gets wired into our circuitry, you know, so if we're wiring our circuitry to like, okay, something didn't go my way, something didn't work out. Um, if we're able to be in that bliss, and that's why we want to meditate because we want to preempt this, you know? So even when, if we're in bliss, then something negative can happen. Okay, it, it didn't work out, but at least I'm still in bliss to be able to deal with it in a better way. And to, to just interject exactly what you're saying for an analogy for some people is like, let's say you, you come out of a meditation, right? Or you had a massage and everything's wonderful, yeah. right? You get yourself a wonderful, perfect drink, you know, from Starbucks. It's got exactly how you like it. You take a sip, you spill that shit everywhere. Yeah. Now, if you're in bliss, you're going to be okay. You, you got to laugh at it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you, you get up on the wrong side of bed. 
You know what I mean? The smallest yeah. thing will just irritate you and you'll lose your marbles, right? Because yeah. of that idea. So I just want to put that example so people can kind of say, oh, I, I see, you know, how that could play into my life. Yeah, yeah. People who are fulfilled and are not really bothered by negativity and problems, you know, they know that they can be transformed and and they're actually in, in some ways serving you. You know, if you, you can understand, you know, like when we're working with CEOs, sometimes they get so absorbed in the problem that and they're they're a problem they're identified with it and they just want a freaking solution you know to to get rid of that problem and we go hang on a sec hang on a sec in order to get the right solution to that problem you have first of all have to understand what's the freaking lesson here you know and once you get the lesson then you're more likely to find the right solution not just any solution that that may be a band-aid but doesn't work long term you know and that's the that's the steps of, of evolution if we get the lessons then we get to evolve and, and get the solution revealed to us, either through us or through somebody else. But if we don't get the lesson, we just have to keep going through that problem solution cycle and never really get the evolution and the ultimate solution. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this has been great. And the one, you know, I want to ask two more questions for sure um, that I'd love your perspective on. What's your perspective on failure and just fear in general? Because failure is a part of, you know, going for what you want. Right. And, and if you're an athlete and, and or you try to do anything in your life that you're creating, you're going to fail. It's a part of it. So I'm just curious your perspective on, on failure and like, you know, I working with a CEO or a person trying to do something and risking it and then they fail. You know, how do you help people just uh, have an empowering perspective around what failure is? Uh, yeah, failure is just a, it's a feedback loop. You know, it's a feedback loop to, to where you're at. And there's so many cases of people who are hugely successful now who have used failure to their advantage. So you should see it as like a blessing, you know. Uh, I don't believe in like you've like failed your way to success. I don't believe in that mentality because you're actually, you know, you're putting your attention. I've got to fail to succeed. I don't, I don't buy into that. I buy into like, no, develop yourself to be more, keep being more and more coherent every day and being more precise, you know, with what you're doing. Uh, and if failure shows up, then it's just a sign that, okay, you're at this point and now you need to evolve yourself so that you can take it to the next point. So failures, are ultimately, it's a stepping stones, you know. Um, I've been watching a documentary about Christian Ronaldo and it talked about, you know, the failures that, that he's been through um like the the time that they thought they were going to win the european cup um and then this underdog greece you know just stole it from underneath them and it was just like it was part of his his journey you know to to evolve and he, he became stronger through that he, he even developed himself even more and eventually portugal you know won the european cup themselves so there's so, so many cases like that where you know people who are, are not champions but they go through the process and they eventually become champions if they just, you know, stick to it and, and grow through the, grow through the failure. Yep. 
Absolutely. I agree. Well, I'm glad I asked that. Um, you know, this has been amazing. I've really enjoyed this conversation and, and I invite people to, you know, listen it back and just even the stories and the shares, right? It's just showing through real world examples, all of this balance, right? The polarity, the challenge and, and all the different ways where it's manifest in the reality, but it's most important how you're responding, how you're developing your inner world, your consciousness, your state of being through what's yeah. happening in the material and not giving so much effort to the material. We, we have goals and we have visions and we have things we want to create, but that, you know, the more important practice is who we are and how yeah. we evolve through that. And if we can see these challenges in this material realm as a teacher, right. Yeah. And, and, and put our focus on um, developing our connection with the creator or God or consciousness, our own evolution, um, or, you know, the Tao or universal force or whatever you, you want. It's like, you know, again, I really enjoy my native American teachers because for them, it's so simple where, you know, it's, it's integrating with life. It's like, what are you, why are you just trying to accumulate a bunch of shit? Like it doesn't make any sense to them. Right. right. And so, yeah, we want to, you know, and so my balance of that, of, of being a Western person is know who I am and what I want to give to the world and try to scale that because it's an offer. Right. Yeah. And that's it. But be at peace with my surroundings and, and the way that I live in my community. And I feel like so important because in the Western world, we're so conditioned to go acquire a bunch of stuff. Well, the more you get, you're taking from the environment. So you need to be conscious whether um, this is uh, helping the environment, whether this is being greedy, right. And being lost in the materialism. You just want greed. It's all going to come at a cost. And I think right. as Jordan Peterson says, like um, something along the lines of uh, we don't, we don't, we all pay a price right? But we choose the, we choose the price we pay. You know what I mean? This is like, right. If you're going to not pay the price of going to the gym every single day and, um, you know, being healthy, you might pay the price of illness. You're going to pay a price. So, but we get to choose the price we get, we pay often. So, um, I just appreciate you coming on and, um, just curious if there's anything that you wish that we had touched on, or you want to, uh, share the with the listeners before we close it out. Uh, you mentioned a, a very important word, um, you know, we think we have to learn and learn and learn, you know, and to get it right. But really, we just have to remember. And what we have to remember is who we are and our essential nature and all the intelligence, you know, for things to unfold and, and manifest is, is already there with us. And one example I can give you is we're working with a CEO and he developed a very successful company at clients like McDonald's and FedEx. And he brought in some VCs to help grow the business. And it became very hostile with these VCs in terms of what they thought was best to do and what he knew was best to do. And he spent a lot of time, you know, in disharmony with them and in conflict with them. And it, it just became a battle. And we said, Phil, this is not who you are. You know, you're not, you're not wired to do business like this. You know, you're a creative entrepreneur. And so that kind of switched to, uh, or flipped a switch for him. And he said, he said, yeah, you're right. And the next call we had with him, he said, guys, I've realized I can do this same business in a better way. So I'm leaving the company that I founded and I'm taking my money and I'm going to start this other company. And that's a huge risk, right? After you put so much into, into something. And so he, he did this and within a couple of years, he was outperforming his old company. And because he just remembered who he really was. And so if we are lost and confused by what's going on, it's just a matter of coming back to self, remembering who we are, and then letting it unfold sequentially from there. 
I love that. Well, and I, and I see that in another way, you know, again, doing the loss. I'm, that's what all of them said is got to know who you are. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, what do you mean? But there, when you get some of the guests to elaborate, they would talk about know who you are under the creator because you were created um, and you were given dominion in this realm to land, air and water, to be alive, to express like all the animals and all the creatures, they have that free will to express. Yeah. And you were endowed with that and you have to consciously allow it and give it up of your own free will. If you want to give, you know, let somebody reign in your life, you know, you can actually do that. Now, whether it's deceitful and whether it's challenging and how you do that is, is a variety of different things but you actually have to choose that so um i just feel like that's always a powerful message and and the way that we remember that is to follow our inner guidance that's my perspective i'd love to hear your take on it too but you know our our inner voice i feel like over time we're conditioned to just not listen to it not even look in and then we compromise it over and over and over again rather than just honoring that inner voice and what we should do in our actions and our ways of being and how we navigate each day and how we pursue different goals and how we operate in this realm is to just, what's that little voice telling you? That's who you really are. And to honor that, then you're, you're becoming and growing into who you are. It's like an oak tree trying to become a a flower. It's not going to make sense. Or, you know, like a little duck trying to be an Eagle, you know, he's not going to be a good Eagle. Like it's close at least he's, or if he's trying to be a squirrel, he'd be the worst squirrel ever falling out of trees, you know? So um, it's just honoring that inner voice. And I'd I'd be curious. Yeah. Maybe just one final question is like, what's your thoughts on how do we, how do we know who we are and, and remember, you know, what's, what's the thing that we do? Uh, I think it's just that quiet, reflective time. You know, a lot of people are, are very conditioned to have to having to be with other people because they don't like being by themselves. Um, but it's it's really powerful if you can get away and just be with your own thoughts and your own consciousness, and and you you just start hearing you know hearing yourself more. You know, you hear you hear the right thought at the right time, and then you know we, we all have intuitive powers. Um, whether we choose to use them, uh, whether we choose to take notice of them. Uh, sometimes we can know something, but we don't act on it, right? And so we're not integrated with that intuitive power yet. We're not trusting it. We're not really trusting ourselves. We're not really believing um, that, oh, maybe I have, I've got the solution here. You know, if it's showing up in your screen of awareness, take note of it, you know? There's, there's an idea that I've, I've got that just appeared to me about, uh, an app that we can develop based on our 20 years of working with CEOs and, and bringing this leadership intelligence, not just to CEOs, but anyone who wants to be a better leader of their household, of their team, of their organization. So I, I, I could have just like, oh, no, I don't want to, uh, it's just another another project, you know, but it's, it's just become so um, lively in me that I know I have to do this now, you know, and that's that's my next thing is to, to execute on this, you know, and, and trust that I don't know how it's going to work out. Um, but I've always already expressed it to some people and they say, yeah, yeah, this has definitely got some possibilities and we're willing to, willing to invest in it if you structure it properly. Yeah. I love that. Well, I feel like that example, again, is just following the pulse of life, right? As you're learning to listen to yourself, these things arise and it just feels right. And you know it, and you don't know how it will express, but you know, that's the the way you navigate. And with each success and with each experience and with each choice and practice, you will get new skills and abilities and new opportunities. And the ones that feel the best as you reflect and think about it and contemplate, the answer becomes clear and where you're going to go. And, and when you keep doing that, it just becomes more and more obvious how to continue to navigate whatever experience is coming into your uh, you know, reality to help you evolve, to help you grow, to help you respond. 
And final thought, I guess, for me is, you know, when I look at the challenge of this world, one of the things that I've been coming back to is like the creator put us here at this time to respond. You know, this is like the dream team. This isn't just come here to live to, I think you said, like just to suffer indefinitely. That is not the why we were put here. If it's no. challenging, it's because you're put here to respond in a way that could, that you have all the ability to respond to this and, and make something beautiful, to adapt to what's going on, to build something beautiful because we're learning what might be wrong, uh, wrong, but like, I don't, I don't know if wrong is the best word, but like challenging and, and and negative to what's free and liberating and life affirming and cooperative and cohesive. And yep. I feel like that we're going to learn from that and, and say, this is, this is much better. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it definitely is a, is a, a world of contrast going on right now. And so it's up to us to have that discernment to realize, okay, what's truth, what's important, what's real and, and what's not. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for this, man. This has been great. Where can people find you if they want to dive, they want to get your book, they want to learn more about what you're doing, uh, they want to follow your tweets. I don't know what you're sure. doing on the social media, but where can people follow you? Yeah, uh, so our company is called newmavericks.com. So newmavericks.com, uh, you can find out what we're up to there. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Instagram, uh, a little bit on Facebook. And if you want the book, The Science of Protection, uh, how leaders can unfair advantage to create sales success. That's on Amazon, or you can go to uh, scienceofprotection.org and there you can get a, the ebook download of it. And also what we call a leadership protection toolkit. That's got some useful tools to kind of strengthen your ability to, to protect yourself and, and your progress and, and your team. Awesome. Great. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. I appreciated this. And uh, thanks everybody for listening. We'll Loved it, man. Thanks so much. Okay. Take care. See you guys. Peace. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the absolutely extraordinary Raman Newman. I hope that you enjoyed that episode. It was full of practical advice, and I love his deep insights on a variety of areas. So if you found this show helpful, please share it. Spread the vibe. Uh, share it on your social medias everywhere you can to get the word out. Um, what else? If you want to support the show, leave a review on iTunes. Become a member at mattbelair.com. Chip in because they are deleting my uh, Patreon they did delete it, so I can't access that. And for those of you guys who want to work one-on-one -on -one with me, uh, you just hit me up, matt at zenathlete.com or mattbelair.com forward slash coaching. We can work on high performance, life fulfillment, esoteric, and, and anything in between. Also, there's a lot of hypnotic processes from the quantum heart hypnosis and the soul compass course to help you overcome any limiting beliefs, uh, design and construct your reality from the inner world to the outer world. Uh, so that's it. So if you want to uh, engage in any of those processes, hit me up. Uh, via email or at mattbelair.com forward slash coaching. And that's it. Uh, check out the membership. The best thing you can do to support the show other than that is to do three kind acts wherever you are in the world today just to be that example. Never think that you are small. You know, your actions in your life, they do matter. They affect your family, your friends, and it goes bigger than you think. People say that, but I keep witnessing it over and over. So the only thing you can do is improve the quality of your life, your own relationship, your own consciousness, your own connection with spirit. And uh, to have faith in that you're going to be led and supported. So do your best to remove all fear and just trust and trust in yourself and trust in creation and build that relationship. So that's it. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Let's uh, come into a state of peace and coherence before we close this out. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and let it out slowly. Fill on every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with joy, fulfillment, love, compassion, faith, courage, energy, inspiration, and get ready to enjoy the rest of your day. So thank you so much for listening. 
see you in the next episode.